I don't know if this means total electrification either yet. I don't, I, I just, see, it's funny. Our the meeting invite says the heartbreak of an electrified nation, and my outline says the possible heartbreak. We'll find out today if it's going to be a heartbreaker. It's just a possibility. Are we baking the cake already? Or yeah, yeah. I think it should be a good discussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so here we go. Hey guys, welcome to the Better Building Systems Podcast. I'm your host Clayton Fair, and here with me today is Nick Taliska, Jim De Pasquale, and Mark Sankey. In today's podcast, we will be discussing the heartbreak of an electrified nation, or the possible heartbreak of an electrified nation. So what do we mean by this? Well, I assume as all of our listeners know, there has been a push to electrify the United States. Two large sectors of the electrified push are transportation, such as like electric vehicles, obviously, as well as I guess I would consider the um, HVAC. So no new gas mains to facilities uh, that's in certain states already getting enacted and just going, um, what's the term, um, green or carbon neutral, uh, no carbon emissions, right? So electrify everything. And there's a lot of controversy with this topic. And I know if you've been tuning into this podcast series, you could see where we, we've discussed electric cars in the past and heat pumps and a lot of, a lot of this. So this kind of brings that discussion into one, one group of just an electrified nation and maybe some possible advantages to that. And a lot of what we're going to talk about our possible disadvantages to that. And, and I don't know if anybody wants to jump in at this point, but I know a big thing that revolves around this discussion is energy costs, right? And I don't know if we want to start with that or if you guys want to jump in on any other specific topics. I'll start by saying, I guess I'm, yeah, I'm kind of confused and mixed about the whole thing. <laughs> Me too. Uh, for, for a long time. I would say LinkedIn is probably my my biggest portal into what other people in my field, our field are thinking. Mm -hmm. And for so long, it was, I mean, really one-sided, you know, the, the time is, is nigh. We need to act quickly, replace everything. Uh, very I don't know, fatalistic, if you will. And so I had to actively seek out like last year, you know, from comments I would see other people write at times. And connect with them just so I could get a balance. But then it seems it's just, you know, hardcore the other way. Like this is the absolute absolute ruin of a civilization. So a guy just can't be in the middle. <laughs> I, I guess so, but <laughs> I mean you can definitely, but I just I I'm not seeing it. And yeah, so I'm a little I'm confused about the whole thing, you know. Well, I, I, and I agree with you, Nick. First, I mean, a couple of things. First of all, we are the building hot rodders. If you look at our logo, it shows a massive V8 internal combustion engine. And it is to our national chagrin and discredit that future generations will not be able to enjoy the absolute sensory overload that comes from driving a vehicle with one of those in it. Let's start there. Second, when you go to the EIA data that Clayton provided, the link that he provided, we still have, well, 60% of our national energy produced by fossil fuel. Despite all of our best efforts, um, we have 20.1% of our national electric capacity being produced by renewables 
while incurring huge debt, rising prices, and we're now signing up to do more of the same. That's insanity. Mm, okay. Okay. Yeah. So this goes to the, you're going to the point of if you're going to go, it's not only electrifying, but the, the electricity generation is the pushes to be done by renewable energy. So we're not burning yeah. gas to make electric. And I know we've had this if conversation in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so your point with the whole debt and economics of it is that because there's large government incentives at this point for these emerging technologies, if you will. Enormous, enormous. So uh, I'll give you a, a classic example. Okay. We're, I'm working on an energy audit for a, a client here in Western PA. All right. We have very low electric rates granted um, 5.8 cents a kilowatt hour, $6 demand. And mm very low natural gas costs. Right now, their contract natural gas rate is $2.85 a decatherm, or an MCF. Can't wait Pretty to see what you come up with. Huh? I can't wait to see what you come up with. <laughs> I know. <laughs> there is no such thing as an easy project, I guess. But one of the projects that we looked at was uh, installation of microturbines to replace PRVs. They have an abundance of steam PRVs inside the complex. And, you know, there are microturbines that we've used in the past to uh, replace PRVs with, and they generate electricity continuously so long as there's steam supply or steam demand through them. Mm -hmm. So historically, the last one I did, uh, it was a hundred and 80 kW generator. It was about $300,000 and worked out very well. So they called the company up and they said, yeah, our pricing has been restructured. Now a 500 kW machine is 1.2 million. A 125 kW machine is $800,000. I said, well, that's nonsense. How's any, none of this will make sense. Well, you don't understand. I said, apparently I don't. Please explain. The Inflation Reduction Act includes specifically that technology with up to a 40% rebate or, or uh, allowance directly from the government. So all that happened was the, pro the cost to manufacture remained the same. The Inflation Reduction Act came out and the price went up by 40%. Amazing. What a coincidence. <laughs> yeah, See, what a coincidence. We can't blame this. The, the, I don't know why that would fit into the Reduction Act, first of all, right? Um, Number one, it's not a decarbonization. If you're using steam, how do we produce steam? It's not with an electric boiler for Yeah, out. yeah, 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 yeah. So not yet. Uh, how not yet. In there? No, Tune into our yet. Steam podcast next week or that's, two weeks. That's right. <laughs> so you're exactly right, Clayton. And that's kind of my point is that we have legislators that don't understand the, they think, oh, we're going to make free electricity. It's from, it's therefore renewable. That's nonsense. Um, so we've built legislation that uh, falsely inflates prices incentivizes the wrong things. Why would this be part of the Inflation Reduction Act? I don't know. I can't figure that out. But my other my other comment is you can't 
can you blame the Inflation Reduction Act for the private company increasing their prices because of that? I mean, no, it's supply and demand. This is simple yeah. supply and demand. I mean, the same thing happens with uh, like electric vehicle subsidies, sure. right? Yeah, you put out a subsidy, huh, we have a price increase. Yeah. We saw that across the board, right? Ford, GM, everybody. That is the game. It is the game, I guess. Very sad, but... Okay, so I let, I'm sorry. I, I took us off on a tangent. We're only eight minutes in. <laughs> but what does that tangent tell us? Like, what was... Where did that get us? Um, to summarize the tangent a little bit for our listeners, that... There's Mark's focus. Attention. There's focus on on going decarbonizing and going green, but you're saying like for the end user and and just going electric does not mean that, right? It's kind of what you're saying. And there's a lot more involved in that point and, that and you're I making. Think that there's not enough technical guidance. I mean, skilled and uh, knowledgeable technical guidance during the legislation process. I mean the outcome that they've legislated produces no net benefit for the consumers nor for the utility i'd argue it's a net negative in the short term i agree in areas right because it's taking jim's money nick's money mark's money clayton's money and infusing that into what ostensibly is just the bottom line of the machine producer well not just that they're they're also with the um, at, at the local level in some of the bigger cities and jurisdictions in the country. They're already ahead of the game, requiring electrification of of heating. Or there's saying you know in in 2030 you need to be a certain percent or fully electrified. So the owners are already planning for that, and they're already starting to install like electric resistance domestic hot water heaters and high-rise buildings, whereas they currently have gas and, you know, the grid in that area might be 80% fossil fuel, you know, so you, you're better off in the short term just having, <laughs> just running having on it. Direct and, fossil and, fuel. Right. And, and yeah. then that's, that's my biggest problem with this whole thing is the, 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 in the short term, it's just making things worse. And in the medium and long term, there needs to be, a lot more planning, you know, for the grid and transmission system, generation systems. You know, are we assuming all this renewable energy is coming from solar and wind, or are we banking on a nuclear renaissance or or fusion? You know, that this all has to be planned properly because if they keep going at the pace they're going and we don't get the investment and development in the generation and transmission side. I just feel like a lot of this is going to backfire on us. Oh, so much negativity. <laughs> you so, know what uh, in, intrigues me, though, and, and I guess I'm speaking more um, commercial and residential, not so much industrial because they're just such energy-dense facilities, right? Um, is like the the, what would you call it? Not microgrid, but, you know, a house with solar panels being self-sufficient um and even light commercial places oh, hold on doing that. self-sufficient uh-huh. sure no grid connection well no 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 grid connection still i mean that okay. that i'm not saying go off the grid but if if at my house i could 
I could cover my roof in solar panels and I know it's got to be sunny to offset whatever I'm using, but um, it can help. Well, you're still you're still banking to the grid. So yes. you bank to yes. the grid when you're not yep. there and then drawing yep. from the grid in off hour. So Correct. you're saving the grid on the peak load side. Yes. Yep. Until everybody has electric cars that come home after work and plugs them in. <laughs> well, that's that's like that's down on the list a little bit, unless we want to jump into okay, that. Okay, no, right I'm just, just <laughs> defining self-sufficient, that's all. The internet told me otherwise for the electric cars. Yeah, so. right. Okay, we'll get to that. <laughs> but so, um, you know, that's where I see the next phase of this, if you would call it renaissance, would be just more on the residential and like commercial. I mean, you got you to gotta hit the low-hanging fruit first, if you would call it that, right? Um, and not be able to just transform the whole grid especially at an industrial level, full electric. So that's my only little addition to this. My note of positivity, maybe. <laughs> you know, energy prices drive this a lot too. And I know when I was talking with Mark before this podcast earlier in the week, I was looking at natural gas prices. And when, when this outline was generated, we were at the point when uh, natural gas was, what, 974 in MCF, and that's in August of 2022. And uh, since then, and I'm not sure what the current prices are, but they've substantially gone down, right, Mark? They're back down to two and change. Yeah. So when it's 974 for an MCF, I think a lot more people would consider different alternatives, right? And then now, not so much. It's just the reality of life. Keep going. It's <laughs> all I have. Oh, okay. But energy prices drive this a lot too, right? So like where we are, the United States, we I think we have very cheap energy. And we, we talked about this in another podcast compared to a lot of, a lot of other areas. So well, what do you mean by prices driving this? I mean, a lot of this doesn't seem to be a choice. Um, yes. So, I mean. To some extent, yeah, 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 a lot. I mean, our state couple other states i guess you don't have a choice a lot of other states you do still right i mean i agree obviously money is a huge part of it and it's always been a part of it and always will yeah but we're just we're, we're not talking like it's like not about money anymore okay yeah 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 so we're all forced to do this what's going to happen is kind of the discussion you're saying uh, i mean whether it's you know coercion yeah. or compulsion or yeah. uh influence and enticement right because there are a lot of people that i guess will gladly sign up and pay you know x percent more for a piece of paper that says that their electricity was generated by wind mm -hmm. uh, and again that's my skepticism at the the accounting of all this too you know and, and how do you know what you're getting but so i mean you can't disconnect the economics but it seems like a lot of people are not talking about the economics they're just yeah. talking about the in, environmental impact you're saying like what you were saying yeah, yeah, earlier exactly. yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and, I, and i call it like social credit too right 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 you know, you're, you're quick to tout that you know they're 100 renewable or whatever and you know the fact is and a lot of these companies are still doing the same thing they used to do but now they're paying you know a tenth of the price to buy renewable energy certificates and things like that mm -hmm. so, and that's you know i have a big issue with that kind of stuff but uh yeah it all comes down to money still and nick building building on that i i have a theory 
have been kind of developing. Mm. Um, I could see where over the long term we eventually get to electrification without the need for uh, government coercion and, and mandates. I could I could see it potentially happening, maybe not a hundred percent, but largely, you know, in the future if again we get a nuclear renaissance or fusion comes in and creates super cheap and available electricity and all the infrastructure is in there for that you know maybe it makes sense just to use electric at that point versus you know fossil fuels um as well not just economically but perhaps at the at the local level i don't know if i'm making this up i want to say some cities are pushing for electric vehicles just to reduce uh pollution and indoor air, or air quality oh, i would believe that yeah you know some, I some areas that. Sure. You know, so I could see that potentially happening over time on its own. I don't know, just but a little uh, theory. Well, that's I how it, that's how it should work, right? And not to cut you off, Mark. That's all I wanted to say. No. Yeah, <laughs> and, like I threw fifty years out there. I see that it takes time for all that to happen, right? I think the biggest problem, like an opposing view would have, is that they think that there's an immediate crisis that we have to act now, and I think that's where the the argument is is like how critical is it to you know reduce our carbon footprint immediately like are we doomed if we don't act now and then you could just keep going with that argument and say okay well let's assume that you know new york and california and or even the u.s does all that like what what impact is it on the world if you know china and russia and south america and other industrialized nations aren't doing what we're doing and I think you would be surprised at how minimal our impact may be. And are we really, really having a meaningful impact if we do all this? And what's the cost to us? Um, no, I don't think know. I would be surprised. I think everyone else would be surprised. Yeah. The, the impact is negligible. Yeah. If, every, if everyone continues doing what they're doing, right. you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I want to say, isn't yeah, China's like building a coal plant every week? Yeah. Don't, don't quote well, me on that. Hey, Paul is getting new nukes new nuke plant mm -hmm. i like the sliver of optimism jim and like the questioning because that's kind of where i am at right and maybe it's the older i get i i do take a, a more earnest look at my own perhaps uh biases or initial reactions to things and i think a lot to be honest with you about whenever something a new plan a program technology is tied directly to you know environmental stewardship I can't help it, but I just think of the people, a large group of this contingency that seem to just beat me about the head because I had questions, right? And I mean, it's just everybody, you know, it's, you know, for years we endured 97% of scientists agree. Why don't you get it, you idiot? Yeah, no, I think that's a good thing, though. It turns right? people on. Who, no one, this is such a broad and just an extremely broad and complicated issue. You know, for someone to claim they have all the answers and know every aspect of this subject, you know, with the degree of confidence where they don't have any questions, they're just going to tell you how it is. I mean, I immediately just lose trust in them, you know, and this, I think it said on our previous podcast when we were discussing this issue, um, it, you know, I have more questions than answers. And, and I don't, my job isn't all day, every day to study climate um and the, the macro grid and a lot of these things but i'm deeply 
involved in aspects of it and I'm just around it. And I, I would think I have a better understanding than, you know, most just because I am involved with a lot of this at the practical level. You know, we're engineers, we're, we're, we're doing practical real world things. So we have a different view of this with, and we get to couple that with our expertise. So, you know, I don't want to uh, downplay um, my view, but at the same time, I'm not going out there saying I have the answer and I know everything. Absolutely. I just, I have a lot of questions because I think a lot of the people driving the legislation, you know, may perhaps not have the, the uh, you know, knowledge or experience that we have. Um, and they're, they get in their little tunnel vision and they, they see some buzzwords. They have their, their motives. You know, a lot of it's political. And, you know, you, you just really have to look at, you know, a higher order magnitude of what, what's happening, you know, cause and effect multiple multiple orders um to consider. So I like what you said there. And and, and that's I think where I am too. I'm trying to challenge my own perceptions, but then again, realizing there's so much out of my control. But I mean like you eloquently, but we're in this world, so it's kind of hard to escape it. Yeah. I mean, we've been talking about energy every day for most of our lives now. So yeah. I mean you have to I mean this this subject involves you know, energy, engineering, um, economics, politics. I mean, there's a lot to really political. Sure. Yeah. There's a lot to really go through and understand how everything affects all of those different um, areas. So for one person to go out there and say, they know every one of those deeply and be a subject matter, matter expert on all of that. Um, you know, I just, I don't know. So I think what Jim said and what Clayton said both really resonate with me. And going back to uh, Albert Einstein, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we use when we created them. So if we think that central power generation and uh, reliance of every individual household on a central generation plant makes sense ultimately we should be at the point where we have distributed generation either at the community or local even residential level but that takes a wholesale technology change to either or you pick it hydrogen fusion one of those things that won't happen in my lifetime maybe in one of you guys lifetime but not in mine but we're right now writing legislation based on what we have as current technology for generation transmission and distribution and there is no thought leader that says this is where we need to be in 50 years instead it's ring the alarm bell run the fire drill and here's what we plan to do and the way we solve it is to dump money into it yeah my my solution is distributed generation at a as a at a residential level i i concur I think I looked up on the EIA and I got to find the right link. Um, U.S. electricity retail sales to major end use sectors and all electricity direct use 1950 to 2021. 2021, the residential has, it would be one third of the consumption. It's 30, you know, 30 some, 30% or somewhere 30% around there. Gross. Yeah, gross. Of all electric production. Yeah, because you have uh, residential, industrial, and commercial. So if you can take the residential load off of the grid and do it distributed, 
more or less, right? That mm. yeah. helps a lot, I think. And then um, commercial too. I mean, there's there's potential in commercial, I, I would assume. But yeah, I see I it more of a so distributed too. generation is the only way to help our strained grid currently to We're convert. Several small modular nuclear reactors fail safe. I mean, it makes sense, right? <laughs> well, I think the, I think the is... biggest hurdle there is just regulation. I think there's yeah. a lot that goes into that, but but that's where I'm like, well, maybe our our renewable, our green energy that they're call- and technically, I think nuclear is green energy, just for the for the record. Mm-hmm. But um, our our you know our standard renewable energies can somewhat support that to an extent of the the sun's got to be shining and the wind's got to be blowing, <laughs> you know, but um. That's my thought process to this for it to succeed. So. Well, I think we have infrastructure that at least aligns with that. When you look at, especially in New York State and some of the other surrounding states and on the western side of New York State, there are a multitude of municipal electric authorities. Two, right? Akron is a municipal electric utility. Fairport's a municipal electric utility. Those utilities buy power at a bulk rate. That's why they get better pricing. And they don't pay the transmission and distribution beyond their, you know, inside yeah, their their, um, their locations. Is there a reason that they couldn't be electric generators? I'm asking the engineering question. Is there a reason they couldn't have local generation if it were reliable and safe? And I don't care whether we, use, you know, what we use, whether it's... And it would be a mix right now, it right? It would be a mix, correct. Yeah, yeah. So we have infrastructure to support that. And we have models that we could build on, but we see no uh, initiative to drive those forward, which is perplexing to me. From like a local municipality level, you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what do you get when you get municipal electric? Higher reliability, better rates. They manage the, you know, uh, my dad actually, he was uh, responsible for a municipal electric entity down in Georgia and they brought in their own peak shaving generator. I mean, big built it, you know, out of spare parts and they got significant uh, rate reductions because they did municipal peak shaving. So they bought from Georgia power, but when they got close to a demand peak, they would fire up the peak shaving generator to stay underneath their municipal demand threshold. See, and, and Oh, sorry, Mark. No, no, no. You could take that one step further and say, you know what? We choose not to buy anymore and easily make those a much larger scale generation system and potentially be a contributor back to the larger grid. Yeah. Well, you get two things. I mean, one, the capital investment required, and that's got to be recouped somehow. But also, I, I would think the uncertainty of the future has got to play into a lot of people's big plans when when they're looking out 20, 30, 50 years, you know? I agree with that, Nick, but who should be doing that planning? And should that planning be direct? I mean, you're telling me that the same people that say we're going to put the um, steam turbines in the Inflation Reduction Act should be directing the planning by national funding? I disagree. I just don't know. I mean, I think I'm searching in a limited way for a possible answer, but understand that I have really zero power over it. 
and very little <laughs> influence. So, and again, maybe I'm just in a, a, a personal growth phase in my life, but I'm, I, I question sometimes and I go, okay, Nick, what, what am I missing here? Right. It's easy to be, you know, nanny poo poo about everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to work. Well, it's going to be outrageous. But like Jim's earlier thought, you know, is kind of intriguing to me. Maybe there are things we don't know. And nuclear is like the next great social persuasion campaign that needs to be done because it's been so maligned for decades. But, you know, what if it does turn out to be, hey, this is a reasonable thing to put in local, like you said, municipalities. I don't know about that in every bedroom. I don't either. I, I, and I'm not necessarily advocating for that. I agree. Well, that's why I like to start at the residential level. You know, I think they are a large consumer of energy as a whole. And if you can figure that out <laughs> for starters, you know, you might be on the right track. Um, and then this this conversation to me is a, is a perfect segue into the next section of this is, you know, the heartbreak of an electrified nation our, our discussion currently is more of, is it uh, central power generation versus distributed, right? And I think the consensus is there's a lot of benefit to distributed. Is is that safe to say right Agreed now? For me, yeah. Yeah. So um, when I was doing some research, and, and this came across me unsolicited, um, was a 60 Minutes episode about our the U.S., electric grid and how vulnerable it is. And, you know, I found it really interesting and, and almost appalling. And you guys, I, I assume knew this, you know, this was newer news to me that it's very easy to turn our electric grid off by, you know, <laughs> damaging a handful of electric transmission substations in our country. And that's where it also adds into, to me, the heartbreak of an electrified nation is that, unless it's more distributed. So any thoughts, comments? Uh, yeah, no, I've seen clips of that too, and other pieces like that. And it is startling, And uh, but, I, but I don't know. Like, is that one of these things where I'm making it out to be too big of a deal just because we haven't had major issues like that? And I, and I fear about these ones, you know, people shooting up transformers. And I think it's usually been found that those are, you know, disgruntled people that just had an issue with their, you know, utility provider, you know, and go out and shoot at something with a 22. I don't know, but. And I don't know. I think there's been some strategic attacks, right? Or maybe some one, two, a handful. I don't know. <laughs> I think a good preview of that is look at what's going on in, in Ukraine right now. Oh yeah. Yeah. Russia has been attacking their grid nonstop. And they seem to be able to fix it and get it back up relatively quickly. I was kind of shocked how quick, quickly they're able and effectively. Then again, who knows? Uh, it's hard to know what's really going on over there. But right. from, from what I'm able to tell, it seems that they'll receive a volley of like 100 missiles targeted at their energy infrastructure. And then you know, it's targeting generation systems, substations, transmission. And somehow they're able to get it back up. You know? That's impressive. I think it's a key piece of it is there might be like damage that can be done, but I mean, obviously they're, I mean, it's, it's not like, you know, you could say, well, the hospitals are vulnerable too. Somebody can just go and cut the wire and everything's done. I mean, it just doesn't work like that, you know? Yeah. Okay. Well, well you put I, me at ease then a little bit. 
I agree <laughs> with that, Nick. But right now, between supply chain issues and uh, global markets, damage to transformers and damage to switchgear, uh, you know, utility companies don't generally keep large-scale transformers and switch switchgear in stock as a replacement. There's no standing inventory, and when we damage that major equipment, the ripple effect across the grid, because it's it's so broadly connected, um, can be significant. So I, I I agree with you. It's not just somebody cutting a wire. But, you know, last year, so I just checked, 2022, there were more than 100 uh, attacks on uh, substations and distribution. So I, I don't know. If there was a, a major attack, it would be a significant national event. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, so at, look, look at some of the substantial blackouts we've had without an attack. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. I mean, regardless of everything I even just said, I, I'm still in favor of distributed generation. It's oh, just absolutely. by its nature, it's much more resistant to yeah, you know, environmental disasters, war. I mean, would just anything. It's, it's just no a lot, different a lot than more robust. Diverse. It's no different than diversifying any portfolio, yeah. whether it's financial, whether it's manufacturing, or you know, you you put your manufacturing capacity in a few different places, not just in one place, mm -hmm. because of what uh, supplier uh, issues, because of labor issues, because of whatever. And the same thing when you diversify your generation more, right? Distribute it more, you have more robustness. And I think by nature, you limit the possibility of uh, ne'er-do-wells trying to interrupt that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. oh, they can switch you back online in 10 hours or that's less. Right. Yep. So that's where I think the distributed generation will be a, is a stepping stone. And it, it, I don't know, I guess it's not really going that way um, from government push, but... And sorry, I'm clean. You're also talking like physical grid security there, too. Like I think more of a threat perhaps might be the cybersecurity aspect. Oh yeah, I mean, geez, I didn't even go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, managing the flow of electrons across. Yeah. The yep. I just like distributed distributed generation, and you know, at a very small level, it might be more feasible to introduce um, renewables and expand from there. <laughs> But if not, I don't know. There's there could be a lot of heartbreak for an electrified nation. Don't worry, Clayton. In my in my utopic future, I see micro and nano reactors spread everywhere. <laughs> We've got plenty of cheap distributed electricity. Yeah. I'd like to live there, Jim. It sounds it's like coming. a nice place. Electric cars everywhere. <laughs> hey, Flying didn't cars. you guys ever watch the Jetsons? Yeah. Oh yeah. There Great you go. Mark. What? I was raised by them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. So what about grid capacity? Like this falls into our discussion about distributed generation versus um, central, right? And grid capacity and what our grid's at now and what, what more it can handle. Do you guys have any thoughts or information on that? I mean, that's the biggest, to me, that's a, that's a huge pushback on the electrification of the, the world right is well, our grid can only do so much world. yes yeah. so like what's the what's the facts on that or the the data like where's our grid at i mean it's obviously it's strained we can just see that from any kind of recent 
events um, to prove that. But, you know, there are numbers associated with this. I tried looking it up and it's not as, as clear as I thought it might be. Agreed. I did the same thing, Clayton. Yeah. So I was hoping you guys might have some other insight on it. No, it's just not. No, the two big main things I hear, like, you know, a lot of people talk about the numbers itself and then they add the theoretical loads that electrification will bring. Mm-hmm. And I've seen, you know, some, some problems with different lines of thinking with that. But again, I'm not an expert on this. And like Jim said, you know, I don't have all the time in the world to be reading articles every day on this. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But there is, you know, it seems like everybody can use the numbers to kind of make their case, which is how numbers are used. Yeah, which is dangerous, though. I mean, if you sure. you know, don't have any factual basis behind it and you just, you know, add I some think, numbers together. I think something that might give you an idea, it's not perfect, but uh, some utilities have maps showing um, the capacity of transmission and distribution lines mm-hmm. For, for the availability of uh, cogen and you know sending power back to the grid and they'll they'll show you on a map like oh this area can handle you know two megawatts over and that if you look at that map you can get an idea of what capacity is in the grid there and then just imagine in a few years you've got all of these you know 30 amp car chargers plugged in some i think they're even going more than 50 now yeah i mean 50. 48.7 not just that but now you've got you've got that going now you have 60 amps going to to your heat pump in the north where that cop drops to almost one on those cold days right you know like to answer your question clean i haven't seen like a very specific map out there but if you look at those cogen maps and just I just do that thought exercise of okay, yeah. You know, they're, they're pushing for car charging. They're pushing, you know, the the, the heat pumps are going to be a big one, you know, mm-hmm. especially in these areas that are all on gas right now. It's just going to be a massive, you know, peak demand increase. Yep. And that's and again, that's why I asked the question. I'm like, I'm not, I don't see it. Is anyone? I know they have to be thinking about this, right? And like, someone's yeah. got to. So, if you have the answer out there, please tell us. It's just I'm genuinely curious to know. You know, is is this being planned for? Is there a realistic, practical solution coming? You know, in the in the near medium term, because we're going to need it sooner rather than later if we're going to be pushing everyone towards now, this towards yeah. this now, right? So, I, I had the opportunity. I was on a call with a colleague that provides uh, contractually and and physically. Uh, independent power production and energy as a service projects. So basically you can say, you can tell them we'll sign up for a rate that is 20% less than uh, the utility rate for 20 years. And they'll build a plant hybridized to optimize local energy sources that might include natural gas, battery storage, solar, and wind. And so he has he has some expertise in the business, been doing this quite a while, um, was a vice president at a very large uh, energy company. And he gave me an anecdotal story about a friend who has a large house in Tampa on a cul-de-sac. And he and his wife both wanted to get uh, Teslas and asked uh, Paul to do a quick analysis as to what it would do to um his 
number one, can his house handle it? And then number two, is it okay for the grid, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, Paul is a, a, a geek and got right into it and said, well, your house can handle an extra 100 amps, no problem. Mm -hmm. But if 20% of the people on your street decide to do the same thing, it will take down the closest substation. And if 20% of the people on all the streets connected to this substation put in two chargers, it'll take down the main substation off the primary transmission. There you go. So right now, if I did it to my house, no issue. No but issue. You get a few people doing it. There's concern, which is obvious. I mean, that's well, it's it's obvious but unstated. Yeah, it's but, obvious to us us but, on this call. So you know, and another a counter argument to that, which I hear a lot, is diversification of the the load, though, right? I mean, not everybody's going to be charging at five p.m. on a Tuesday. Um, okay, but what do you do when it's six degrees outside? And your heat pumps cranking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's tough to and diversify that. No, no, I agree. From, and we've gone from more than 20% of the homeowners to 60%. Mm -hmm. Or 100% in some areas if they're mandating right. it, right? That's right. I mean, that's just such a massive increase in demand. I just, again, I just... I don't know. It just seems crazy. <laughs> it doesn't. It, I guess it puts it more perspective when you do think it, about it on the residential street level, right? Because that's the last the last step on line, pretty much. That's it. You know, yeah. When it, when it about transition, you're thinking about these, you know, things spread out through empty countrysides over long distances, but that's not where things are going to go bad. I would think. That's, that's right. That's where my utopic world comes into play with the solar panels and all that on your everybody's roof and helps yeah. but at night it doesn't happen i get that so yeah interesting i don't know the answers i just don't well we don't but let's like what what is the heartbreak then like what does that mean like the heartbreak meaning you're not gonna have electricity you're not gonna drive your car I, just, I guess as of right now yes is, right okay. the heartbreak is in stellantis no longer manufacturing hemi v8s <laughs> that they're not doing that anymore no, like shut it down. No more Hemi V8s. No more V8s, period. No more Chrysler Mopar V8s, period. Never saw my truck. <laughs> you guys yeah, feel it's going to be a relic. This may be a little bit off, not off topic, but I don't know. To me, it seems like this all happened so, so very fast. Two years. Okay. And it was kind of creepy the way it happened because i just within the last two years from every angle like everyone's been kind of pushing it almost like it was a coordinated you know well for yeah. years i remember the, the... Let take my let me take my tinfoil hat off for a second uh i'm not <laughs> i mean they went after you know they whatever went after you know natural gas has been in the news for quite some time especially in at least you know my area of the country with fracking and everything mm -hmm. uh and then it just seemed like I don't know. I went to sleep and I woke up and I missed something, you know, and it just was like electrification is the answer. All quote unquote fossil fuels have to go. And we're only talking about renewables, quote unquote, which I think so, are unfortunate names too for them, but it's, yeah, it's misleading. <laughs> our last podcast, you know, why is 
conservation not a pillar of the green agenda this is it this is the last pillar gone well and what's the common answer to that there's no time right <laughs> i it's guess too manage it's too difficult to manage on a large scale that sort of thing i guess yeah i, I agree and and you can't do the you can't legislate it you can't uh, go out and measure it easily. It's not connected, you know, to any specific one meter that says, "Did you do conservation work?" It, by and large, is self-policing. Yeah. So, you know, they can't turn it off, you know, using a smart device if they want to, or whoever they is. But anyway, sure. that's my oil hat speaking. Um, you know, and I know we've been going it almost for an hour, forty-five minutes. I added a link to this episode and I just wanted to touch base on it. And you know, you're going to chuckle where it comes from Forbes, Forbes.com has told me electricity grids can handle electric vehicles easily. They just need proper management. Liar, liar, pants on fire. That's the diversification argument, correct? Certainly. Yep. They're going to say, you know, not everybody's plugged in at the same time. And if your electric vehicle has 300 miles range, um, your typical commuter drives 15 miles to work, so 30 miles round trip, and they can go a week without having to plug in. And anything wrong with that argument? Well, like like Jim mentioned, even even so, and it's a good point. If if everything's electrified, and your heat pump is cranking uh, full heating in the middle of January. That might even be too much strain on the grid at that point. So add any electric vehicle, there could be concerns. Um, I don't know. I just, it's it's all stuff I consider, you know, and I don't have the answers to, but points to be made, I guess. And there's there's numbers behind it in this, you know, yeah. article. Um, and I don't know how true they are. And that's why I was curious about just grid capacity currently and I can only use information I have around me, but I know in the summertime, even in upstate New York, people try to say, don't set your thermostat to 70, you know, put it up a little bit more. So there's not as much. Carter. Yeah. 55, 65 in winter, 78 summer. What do you think is easier to operate a urban Electrical infrastructure, you know, large cities or suburban, suburban out in the country. Depends, so. Nick. If it's above ground, you know, I mean, basically you're talking about changing wire size. So I'm thinking that the cities are easier. And I'm just thinking yeah. I've been reading a lot about, you know, the smart city revolution and, and some articles on that, which are interesting. You know, in the population growth, they still project for cities. Uh, you know, maybe that's going to be what it's going to turn out to be. They're mainly electrified and people drive electric vehicles and electric mass transport and people in our old stomping grounds are still getting oil delivered. I think it, that would be a starting point. Yeah. Well, I think to Clayton's point and, and, and Jim's point that local generation or distributed generation eases the burden of that cost to upgrade infrastructure, whether it's suburban or it's um, urban. So, you know, if you do rooftop 
solar. If you do all those things and decrease your primary demand and even your distributed demand by doing local generation, it would seem like it would be more prudent to look at that versus, oh, we're going to upgrade the whole grid. Yeah. Yes. Certainly get the biggest bang for their buck, I would think, as far as... Well, just improving the grid does nothing to control costs. I mean, yeah, we can do that, but we're still stuck with central generation. We're still stuck with, you know, primary fuels being 60% fossil, you know, carbonized, et cetera, et cetera. And when you start to do distributed generation, like you have, you know, in Massachusetts and on a large scale basis, that'll make sense, you know, and, and the only reason they're doing DGEN programs is to ease the grid, not because there's just plain not enough generation capacity, but it, because there's not enough TND and generation capacity. Yeah. Huh. A lot to think about. We could rename this podcast as Distributed Generation the Solution. It's kind of where the trend went for our discussion. Well, I think uh, for I obvious know. It's reasons. opinions only. I'm not. That could be a different deep dive on centralized versus distributed. I think it needs to happen at this point. So um, I, I think we're at a point <laughs> to wrap this podcast up, right? I mean, does anybody have any closing arguments? I don't know. My mind wasn't changed at all. I'm still confused. Me too, Nick. Maybe even more yeah. confused. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm confused. I'm confused, but I know what I'm confused about. I'm confused about the direction. It, you know, it's like yes. watching a, a if if you've ever watched um, schools of fish and flocks of birds, they both act the same way. You know, for whatever reason, they'll be moving in one direction, and then immediately the whole flock starts to move in another direction. Or a school of fish, whether you know, based on out either external or what we see as external stimuli or maybe it's internal stimuli signal and what we've got here and, and what we're undergoing now is that kind of activity with regard to electricity carbon etc and i'm trying to wrap my head around what is the motivation for this the, about for the lagging birds and fish to follow the leaders so to speak <laughs> no but it, it might be you from the animal kingdom and it's maybe it's that safe perceived safety i think it is right because and that perceived safety is what i'm staying with the flock or the school of fish because i know there will be casualties but the odds are i won't be one of them that's why they they flock together well i mean also at some point like media and public perception makes the guy that says natural gas is going to work for a long time be the enemy right yeah i know but i i go back to the emperor has no clothes <laughs> it, it's very difficult to not be uh, i don't know uh it's not an easy topic and that's why i i, I like to bring these into the uh, into the podcast series and i hope our listeners like listening to them you know, I know we're not providing concrete answers or maybe even concrete data, but just having the discussion, I think, is a good starting point to see different sides and reasoning behind it. And 
Um, I know when I'm on podcasts with you guys talking about this stuff, if I have an opinion on something, one of one of you gentlemen might um, have an argument against it that I didn't think of that makes sense. And I say, oh, maybe my idea wasn't right. That, that, that doesn't work then in my head. So um, I don't know. Hopefully for our listeners, that helps as well. And if anybody has any input or good information, please reach out to please us. Please share it. Yeah, yes. Please share your information. We have a lot of questions. Sources. We always, we have more questions than answers. That's for sure. Yep. And I don't know, what is the heartbreak of the electrified nation right now? No more V8s. <laughs> no more fun. Yep. No more loud noises. A lot of people spending time talking about stuff that we just don't know and maybe have little control over, but that's not an answer not to discuss. I mean, Clayton, I think you're right. I mean, more people talking about these things I think is good and more people asking themselves questions. I'm definitely willing to have my mind changed on practically anything. Right. Uh, and I do, I do question why I think some things and, you know, sometimes having your mind changed feels really good. And sometimes it's not so good, but you know, <laughs> if you're an adult, that's what you have to do. But again, I don't know how much of this necessarily, I don't know, all in, not impacts us. It obviously will, but I don't know. So many other things to work on, but I would just say everybody should keep an open mind and maybe we're missing something. See, I'm growing as a person. Can't you feel yeah. <laughs> Not a curmudgeon, huh? <laughs> Thank you. That was last year. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, oh, I, I think this this conversation needs to continue. And uh, hopefully any uh, any listeners have any comments, please let us know. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess that's where I can wrap this episode up. I don't. I don't know what the heartbreak of the electrified nation is, but as of current, it appears our grid and generation and distribution cannot sustain full electric. And maybe that's just obvious to everybody and everybody understands that changes have to be made. I'm not I don't know. <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah, I don't know. I like heat pumps and solar panels at, at a residential level. I don't have answers for industrial. I don't know if anybody does or if you can expect to in the short term. But I don't see how you can. I mean, primary manufacturing, whether it's metals, glass, refining, any of that, to say I'll electrify that is a hard putt. Definitely. Industry is totally different. I agree. But, yeah. but I was surprised to see how much residential and commercial – consumes energy compared to industrial and it's a fair amount so maybe start there yeah but it's not necessarily i mean we had we have had for many years a shrinking industrial base and i mean that by and large is a big big reason for that if you'd have gone back to um post world war ii 60s and 70s yeah. that number was much less in terms yeah. of residential consumption yeah and and I guess one last thing, it appears China is a top CO2 emitting country, um, United States behind that, then India, Russia, Japan. And I think it may be like the, the overriding theme for all of us, and maybe this is just how a lot of people do live life too, is like you don't want to get down a road too far where you have no other choices mm -hmm. right, if you're not sure yeah. about that path. Mm -hmm. So I think we can all examine our lives every day. We do this, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that is the overriding concern 
at least from you know the layman's perspective out here in the industry seeing what everybody's talking about is okay you know let's we have what eggs in one basket so to speak that seems yeah. like uh, good prudent prudent behavior oh we did a episode on virtues didn't we yeah. yes yeah. We also we also talked about other countries doing renewables and there's is success. So I don't know. I don't know. That's a very small scale that are probably not industrialized countries either. And and small like geographically compared to the United States, obviously. So I think I have to wrap this episode up. <laughs> Thank you, gentlemen, for adding all of your thoughts to this episode. And like I said multiple times before, I hope our listeners really enjoy these types of discussions. I know we don't have answers, specific answers to it, but I think it's worthwhile having the discussion to provoke some thought and, I don't know, maybe change somebody's mind on an opinion they had. With that being said, thank you for tuning in, everybody, and have a great day.